Can you hear me now? Yes. All right. Um, when Nicholas asked me to do the reading, I said, make it short and simple. So from Matthew 18, it's 38 words and simple. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, 77 times. Nicholas also asked me to share a story of my forgiveness. It's a very personal story, very emotional. So I asked Bud Norris to come up and support me. Bud's a member of the Aspen Chapel Men's Club, and he was very instrumental in my journey of forgiveness. My story starts over 30 years ago, or actually 30 years ago last month, right here in Aspen. My mom and dad had never come to Aspen to see my condo because dad couldn't uh, travel to the altitude. So my dad passed away the year before, and mom said, I'd like to come to Aspen. So we made arrangements to come to Aspen in August of 87. My brother, who lived in Texas, said, well, why don't I drive up from Houston area to Aspen and we can have a family reunion. Keith drove up from Texas and we had a family gathering. What a wonderful time. Talking about old times, growing up, future. My brother Keith was very involved in the formation of the Presbyterian Church in the Woodlands. And uh, he was uh, actually the founding father of the Woodlands Community Presbyterian Church. So it was quite a several days of enjoyment, remembering my dad and everything like that. When it was time for Keith and the family to drive back to Texas, in the parking lot, the condo was right up there by the S-curves. So um, it was a lot of hugs, laughter, and have a safe journey to Texas. That night, the phone rang. It was the middle of the night. You just don't want to answer that kind of phone call. But it was my nephew. He said, Uncle Gary, there's been an accident. He said the phone, he said the hospital will call probably within an hour. That was the longest hour of my life. The call came. And they told me that my brother and his youngest son were killed in the accident. His wife and daughter 
were very seriously injured. The nephew that was driving was not injured. Then came the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I had to tell my mother that dreaded news. She now had lost my father. My younger brother died 23 years earlier. And now her oldest son. Next day I was at the hospital in Amarillo, Texas. Again, one of the saddest days in my life. What decisions, arrangements, questions, I mean, the emotions are are just unbelievable. The accident involved my brother's van and a train. The train engineer searched out a family member at the hospital, and I talked to him. He said they saw the van. Then they realized the van was not going to stop. The highway had a flashing red lights. It didn't have an arm that went across the road. But the flashing red lights were working. He said they blasted that horn as loud and as hard as they could. The train was hauling coal, so there was no way it was able to stop at the intersection. My questions on why did the van not stop? Why did the driver not hear the train? Why? I mean, so many questions. But when some of the questions, the answer became clearer, that's when my anger grew. My anger focused on my nephew, who was the driver. Caused so much pain and suffering to our family with the accident. My mother died just a few months after the accident. Her heart had been broken. I again blame my nephew because of her broken heart. Now... I was the only survivor of the five members of our family. Come forward 30 years. It was at the Aspen Chapel Men's Group, which Bud was part of and very much instrumental in that meeting. We talked about forgiveness, a subject I had never even approached. I told the story of my anger that lasted for the past 30 years. During the discussion of forgiveness, much directed at me because of the anger I had expressed for so long of a period of time. But also we talked about the power of forgiveness. I'm not going to go into detail of that because I'd steal his message today, right? The results of that discussion, I started to question my anger and came to the conclusion 
that the only way to rid myself of the anger was to give my nephew complete forgiveness. I couldn't change the result or the outcome of the accident, but I surely could change how I felt towards my nephew. My nephew called me several months ago. He lives in California. They had twins six years ago. And he told me he had joint custody of the kids this summer. And Daylene and I said, please come to Aspen. When they arrived on that direct flight from San Francisco, I was able to give my nephew, the driver of the van, a full hug. Free of the anger that I had carried for 30 years. That's my story. Thank you. So I just said a little prayer for you now. Just yeah. appreciate that. It's very emotional, and um, that's why I needed Bud up here, and, and I need all of your support forever. Great. Thank you. Let's just say a little prayer. Lord, we just okay. pray for Gary. Pray for his heart, and just thank you for sharing the story. And this is just another episode on, the, on that way. Just thank you for all that he gives us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Gary, I think we can applaud here. So, oh, yes, yeah. there we are. There we are. Yeah. But as they always say, follow that. Thank you, Gary. So appreciate you being willing to share that. And, you know, I think the testimony, when people say stuff from their lives, it's so powerful and so important because it's what's really happened. It's not all the guff that I might come up with, but it's really something that's actually gone on in people's lives. So thank you for that. So this is the third of a series that we're doing really about relationships. Um, we started uh, two, three weeks ago with Everything Belongs, looking at how really everything has a place in the whole and that the distinction between what's sacred and what's profane really is an arbitrary distinction. And it really depends on our own judgments. And last week we developed that looking at at loving our enemies. And this week we're going to look at the subject of forgiveness. And thank you for not stealing my thunder. I appreciate that. Um, Forgiveness, the word actually comes, the word itself, it forgives, actually means to give up completely. That's where the, the root of the word from. It means to give up completely. Like in, you know, that sense of the Lord's Prayer when it says, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And cancel our accounts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us. It's giving up that which we hold against others. And when we do that, when we do give up, the idea is that we then do experience a sense of freedom, having given up. Because as we hold on to things, as we keep accounts of those who we know have done us wrong, as we keep those in our hearts, we bind those people we hold to account. You know, Gary bound his nephew by holding him to account, but we also bound 
bind ourselves as we hold on to the rope. Gary's binding his nephew, but he's also holding on to it. So he's involved in that binding. So although we think we're holding others to account by not forgiving them, we're also ourselves held by the same tie that binds the others. There's a mutual trapping that's released when we forgive. We release the other person, and in the same way, ourselves, we are released. But it's a pretty difficult thing. 30 years, Gary, it took uh, to do that. And we often get trapped and, and not able to forgive. And many of us do hold on to things. You know, some of us haven't got a forgiving bone in our bodies. You know, we remember things from years ago. You know, that cup which was broken. <laughs> you know, you never forget them. The slights given. You know, birthdays and anniversaries forgotten. And, you know, that doesn't include the serious things. You know, people we've never given for awful things. We hold on to stuff in one form or another. Now, I, I, I think I've mentioned this before a few years ago, but if you're here for a while, you hear me repeat stuff, so tough. But... <laughs> But anyway, I came across this threefold way of dealing with hurts like this. Um, threefold way of, of actually letting people off, you know, problems. Um, like when you're stood up on a date or some petty omission of some sort. The first way, this is just techniques. The first way is what I would call a haircut. When someone's done something wrong, a haircut. You know, where you just have a good shout at someone and then drop it. My, my children will tell you about haircuts. They do happen in my house quite a lot. You know, you might spill some paint on the, why, why did you do that? I told you to put, you know, paper down. You just give a good shout at that particular point. And you, you can ask Jessica about it. You get it out of your system. Uh, and that's it. That is it. You let go of it. That happens for about three minutes. And then you just let it go. And, you know, that's how, that, that's the first one. The second one's a bit more involved. The second one is what I would call, it's called a doghouse release. Now, in England, we have a phrase, when someone does something wrong, they go in the doghouse. Do you have that over here? It's like the candle. The idea is he's in the doghouse. He's forgot my anniversary. He stood me up. Um, and I think the origin was that husbands were often pushing the kennel when they did something wrong in the house. So it's a doghouse. You're putting the doghouse. Now, a doghouse release is when you give someone a task in order to free them from their transgression. So you might spill paint on the floor, and I might have had to clean it up. So a doghouse release is that you will do the washing up tonight. Uh, Once you've done that task, you've made amends and it can be forgotten. So they've done something. You know, I once asked a fellow church uh, leader to come to lunch, and they they stood me up. They never, never turned up. I was furious. So I rang them up and I gave them a doghouse release which for them to cook me lunch with me go around to their house. And they agreed to that. And yeah, that was it. I felt I'd got my pound of flesh and that, <laughs> and that was done. So that's the haircut and the doghouse release. And the third, third one, which is much less edifying, is called a hurt museum. Now, a hurt museum, you admit to the person that you're not yet ready to forgive them. And you're so incensed that they forgot your wedding anniversary or whatever it is that hurt you, that you're going to take that hurt and you're going to put it in your hurt museum. And occasionally you're going to get that hurt out 
and you're going to show it to them and polish it and have it just be there. Yes, you did. You forgot that. I, I'm just going to keep this in my Hertz Museum. See, you just better watch out because you never know what I It's not very elevating, but at least the hurt is out in the open. Whereas much of what's unforgiven is kept out of sight. We don't let it out in the open. So those are three sort of little techniques. But in the more serious cases, it's far too obvious. We hold on to people's guilt. You know, the church is supposed to be all about forgiveness. You know, uh, you always hear when people say, oh, you're, you're Christian, you should forgive. You know, all that it's supposed to be a big part of it, but a huge part of the church's economy particularly in the Middle Ages, was developed around charging for forgiveness. The church used to say, you've done something wrong. Okay, you pay $1,000 and I will make sure God forgives you for this sin. Actually, we should do that for the development team. It's quite a good idea. (laughs) That's not a bad idea. Anyway, they were called, that's literally how the church founded it. Uh, It it got money. It it forgave people. It said, if you give $1,000, we will say a mass for you every three weeks and you will be forgiven by God. They were called indulgences. And people, you could even pay for high masses to happen in perpetuity which means a particular order would always say a high mass for you on the third Sunday in August for the rest of eternity to make sure that your soul rested peacefully. That all happened right up to the 16th century uh, when the Reformation came along, mainly because of indulgences. So there's a whole industry that grows up around the corruption of forgiveness and non-forgiveness. You know, we've got that today. In our society, you know, a huge amount of the economy is around non-forgiveness. The whole idea of mass incarceration here. Thousands of people being put into prison for the pettiest of crimes and then used as slave labour. That happens today. You know, we have the military-industrial complex that doesn't forgive but goes to war at huge expense on often the flimsiest of rationales. And often, therefore, it's not in people's interest to forgive. You can make more by making people pay rather than letting them off. You know, we don't forgive terrorists, rapists, murderers, or rogue states. Instead, we get as much out of the transgression as we can. You know, we're not encouraged to forgive. Instead, we're encouraged to go to war. We're encouraged to give up our civil liberties and extract every ounce of revenge that we can. Some would say that the unwillingness to forgive after the First World War, to forgive Germany, directly led to the rise of Hitler and the Second World War. Now look at our response to 9-11 and the way that that changed the world. Now I'm not saying that we should always just let everyone off and see how it goes. However, there has to be a better way. And that links into last week's message about loving our enemies. All these transgressions, whether on an international level or on a personal level, actually, those transgressions put us in a position of power. We are given the initiative to be able to take the next step. Gary took, had the initiative. He took the next step. And the next step that one takes, that we're given the initiative to take, Because once you've had something done to you, you've got the initiative on one level. The next step can be one that heals or one that exacerbates the situation. 
The choice is completely ours. I mean, look at the response uh, to the murders in Charleston of the Reverend Pinckney and, and those others at Charleston. The forgiveness that came out of that church was so different from the normal responses. You know, President Obama's eulogy is so worth watching if you've never seen it on YouTube. It's, it's the one where he ends up singing Amazing Grace. And it's a wonderful eulogy about the nature of forgiveness. He makes the point that something new arose from those deaths and the forgiveness from the relatives, a grace that was not there before, but came through those terrible circumstances. And and that's what forgiveness does. An act of whatever magnitude against us puts us in the driving seat spiritually. We have a choice. As Gary had a choice as to how to respond. We can give an eye for an eye, or we can go for something different. The action against us gives us the upper hand. And the question is then for how are we going to respond? What are we going to do with the energy that's come our way. Now, we know that each action, you know, from physics, each action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so we can choose what to do with that energy. We can match violence with violence. And what we do when that happens, it just releases more violence. If, however, we meet violence with forgiveness then the result of that is a release of grace. We can transform that negative energy that we receive into something that's healing and wholesome. You know, Jesus did that on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is the big act of forgiveness in the New Testament. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The negative energy comes towards us, we receive it, you know, almost like a taser. It stings, it hurts, it immobilizes us. And the temptation is to take that blame and to take that pain and to blame, to lash out. But actually what forgiveness does is cut the wires of that taser. Between both us, it releases us and the perpetrator. We are giving up the right to strike back. Because we know that there is a wholeness. This is why we do it. We do it because we know that there is wholeness in the universe. We know that we've been hurt by someone who quite probably is out of their minds. You know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There is the beginning of compassion. The realization that they don't know what they're doing, that they are under some other power And we give them back their right mind by treating them lovingly, even though we've been hurt. I remember once I was in London, I was in this taxi, and the guy was so rude to me. I just couldn't believe how awful he was to me. And it was like a $5 trip, £5 trip. And when I gave out, when I finished, I gave him the £5, and I said, and here's £20 for your service. I just couldn't believe the look on his face. He, he just couldn't understand what had happened. Something changed in his face when I did that. That turns the hateful energy into grace. In other words, it releases the creative energy of the divine. You do something that releases creative energy, an energy that we can't understand or plan for, that has unknown effects, that seems to have a will and power of its own. 
which of course, that will and power that is released by forgiveness is the will and power of evolution, of love unfolding in our consciousness and therefore affecting everything around us. To forgive, therefore, is not to do nothing. To forgive is not to do nothing. It is to release the divine power of love into a situation that was previously unloving. And that's hugely powerful. You know, the idea that evolution is about the nature of forgiveness, is about the transformation that occurs. Forgiveness doesn't just affect us, therefore, on a personal level. It's not just between Gary and his nephew. It affects the environment around us. It affects everything that's around the situation. It transforms the situation by using the very power that created the situation in the first place. It takes violence and turns it on its head, overcoming it with a divine power that's able to release, be released through a loving act of forgiveness. And in that way, forgiveness is the driving power of the evolution of consciousness. It is truly alchemical. It takes base emotions and transforms those base emotions into love. That is the alchemical nature of forgiveness. Look at the power that's happened in uh, Rwanda. Who was it who went to Rwanda recently? Someone went to Rwanda that I met recently and said it was the most incredible place in terms of the forgiveness that's happened after the, the Rwanda genocide, you know, the difference that's happened there. In South Africa, the forgiveness that's happened there with our, you know, with our enemies in the Second World War, with Japan and Germany now. You know, as a species, we move forward in evolution through the power of forgiveness, of nature red in tooth of claw, becoming the peace that passes all understanding. And that goes right down to our little issues of the the slights we endure, of betrayal, of violence that we've had to endure. In our own way, we play our part in evolution by not returning evil for evil, but by being responsible for the effect that the you know of the wrong that's been done to us, the effect that has on the greater whole. It's almost a law of nature that forgiveness will always release grace. Forgiveness will always release grace. And when we really see that, it changes our behavior because we can see how positive the effect is. And if that was seen on an international level, how would it affect international relations? How might we have responded to 9-11? Forgiveness is an untapped power that's always available to us. It's a power that's available to us in the very bits and pieces that go to make up our daily life. You know, the chance meeting in City Market, the re- family reunions, you know, dinner parties, Thanksgiving, all that stuff. Those everyday events that hold within them the power of grace that can be released through forgiveness. It's the way we change our society. It's the way we resolve the race issue, the gender issue. It's the way our society moves forward. And it's no coincidence that John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, the hymn, was involved in the slave trade. His lesson was all about forgiveness. Through many dangers, toils and snares, we have already come. It was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Grace is the divine power 
that underpins all things. And through our ability to release it into the world, evolution takes place. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about more about the nature of grace. Let's pray. So we do pray for all the difficult situations in the world, that a sense of grace may come into them. We just hold them in our hearts. We hold the situation in North Korea in our hearts. We bear it. We hold the situation in Iraq and Afghanistan in our hearts. We bear it. We just pray, Lord, that grace may be released some way in these circumstances, in all the conflicts around the world. And we also do pray for those at the effect of floods at the moment, particularly in Texas, and also in Southeast Asia, where 1,500 people have been killed by floods and 4 million people are homeless. People dealing with terrible circumstances in their lives. We just pray for them and those who are helping them. We pray for others in the world in difficulty, hunger, homeless, in prison, suffering. Pray for those families who've lost people, particularly the family of Angus Graham, of Carlin Brightwell and Ryan Marcel and of Jack Gaskey. Pray for Sharon Wells, Elise Strickland, Anne Lindley, Joan Valentine, Lee Bouguet, Soleil, Tegan Sullivan, Barbara Orcutt, Molly Coman, Pat Smith, Will Welsh, Patricia Hill. Also pray for Alan Shelley, who were injured in a riding accident yesterday. Pray they may be healed. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.